This episode of Bass Freaks is brought to you by Dunlop Bass Strings. Dunlop Bass Strings are made in California and designed by the players at Dunlop to sound and feel the way a string should. With deep lows, strong fundamental punchy mids, and articulate highs. Dunlop Bass Strings offer a complete line with standard nickel and stainless round wounds, flat wounds, and super brights. They're also available in short, medium, and long scales. So go to jimdunlop.com and check out Dunlop Bass Strings. Hello, my friends. Welcome to Dunlop Presents Bass Freaks. We are back. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us again. This is a place for all of us bass freaks to chat it up, gain a little insight and inspiration, and have some fun with some great bass players. I'm your host, Josh Paul, and today we welcome Mr. Dave Swift to the show. Uh, Dave, hello there. Welcome. Welcome. Uh, you're a terrific bassist. Um, you're, you're huge into the session scene. Uh, doing TV shows. I've been watching some of your performances and they're spectacular. Your feel is uh, tremendous. No, How are you doing? You. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing very well, very well. As I was saying, I'm having a load of uh, painting and decorating done here at home. So uh, <clears throat> if I sound a little bit, um, uh, I, I'm kind of worried about the fumes. They might start making me hallucinating. So uh, uh, I'll, I'll mention that in case I say anything libelous. But apart from that, I'm doing very well. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for uh, pushing through and getting through the the stench of uh, wet yet beautiful paint, as I can see from the look of it behind you. You're very welcome. <laughs> so, man, um, I was watching, like I said earlier, I was watching some of those performances. Um, you've played, you're in a, a unique situation where you can play with so many different huge stars. Um, doing yeah. it, um, Jules Holland, right? That's the uh, TV show that you do. Yeah, I've, I've been, um, yeah, so Jules Holland, if people aren't familiar with him, he's, you know, he's a piano player, band leader, TV and radio show host. But really, you know, he started off as being the keyboard player in the in the pop group Squeeze, okay. uh, which which were kind of huge when when I was a kid, and you know they're still going to this day. Although, uh, you know, they've only got two original members in that band now, whereas in Jules's band we've got two original members as well from Squeeze. Okay, and but, you've been uh, doing, yes, you've been doing that show for thirty. 30- <clears throat> 30 years yeah well I've, I've been jules's bass player for this year for 31 years but the, the show yeah the show started uh, a year after i got the gig so i got the gig with jules holland in 91 the tv show later with jules holland started in 92 and the new the annual new year's eve show that we do which is called jules holland's hootenanny that started in 93 so um i mean that was what was weird for me with the gig because when i when I auditioned for the gig with Jules, um, this was before, I, I, I mean, I knew him from being in Squeeze, the pop okay. group, because I, I was a Squeeze fan and I used to buy the albums. Uh, and also he used to host uh, a, another music TV show in the 80s called The Tune, which he used to co-host with Paula Yates. That was a live music show. And, and I really learned to play from watching that TV show, that and Top of the Pops, because I didn't have a bass teacher. So I used to watch Jules's TV show to watch what all the bass players were doing. So that's one of the one of the ways I, I learned how to play. But <clears throat> by the time uh, I auditioned for him, so this was before 
he is who he is now. He didn't have the TV show. He didn't have the radio show. He wasn't a, like a household name. He was. He left Squeeze for the for the last time, and he was starting out as, on a solo career. So when I auditioned for him, it was a very different thing, and it was just it was kind of quite strange. Like I had this gig, and we were just doing a few gigs. It was really low key stuff, and then within a year. We're, we're all over the television and we've got to play with all, all of these very famous, iconic stars. And I'd never been on TV before. I'd never done anything like that. So none of us expected it to happen. You know, we didn't see the TV show coming. I don't think even Jules did. So it was a shock to the system. But we, we all had to up our game when we, when we realized we're going to be on the TV quite regularly. Oh, that is amazing. I mean, just from, <laughs> from you watching the show, growing up learning how to play and then you know being able to get up and be doing that that's like a dream yeah. come true right yeah be, being the guy on on the show um so like yeah it was it was a real surprise but um it was yeah all of a sudden you you know you've just gone from doing gigs and i was a session player really you know that was that was what i did and, and all of a sudden you're on tv and you're getting these phone calls from the, the television studio saying we need you to come and play with Eric Clapton and we need you to play with with BB King and Shaka Khan and whatever and it's kind of okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure awesome. I could fit that in. That is awesome. <laughs> How did your approach change, or did it change from from going from doing records to television? Well, I, I suppose the. For me, see, when I started out, most of my work was was reading music because I was a classically trained trombonist. That's how I started out. So I most of my early session work and gigs, whatever, was it was all reading. Whatever I did, there was I was given a written bass part, okay. much more so than even a chord sheet. And and there was hardly ever a situation where I had to make something up from scratch. You were always given this thing so 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 you're one you of know, those educated guys one of the educated uh, bass players <laughs> well you, you know i mean i like to say uh, semi semi-educated because you know i mean i didn't start playing the trombone until i was 14 that's quite late by today's standards and i didn't take up the bass until a year later when i was 15 okay. uh so i was classically trained as a trombone player this is all at school i i didn't go to college or university or anything like that i left school at 16 and turned pro at 17 but um but yeah so i had classical trombone lessons from 14 and then i took up bass double bass and bass guitar when i was 15 and i was self-taught on that but the good thing was i could already read music to a really high level so all i had to do was to switch all of the knowledge on onto this new instrument i just had to learn the mechanics of the bass Got it. Okay. But, um, but the one thing I noticed years later when, particularly when I got the Jules gig was um, the, the fact there wasn't any music, you know, we weren't given any parts or anything like that. We were just on the TV show. I mean, even now how it works, we just get a recording of who we're going to work with. You know, they, the artist hardly ever gives us any kind of, uh, yeah, any kind of charts or arrangements and that stuff. We just get a recording and we just have to do the work ourselves. We do the homework. Um, and the thing is, in Jules's band, there's it's kind of a, a unique situation because there's only me and the horn section that can read music. The rest of the rhythm section are non-readers. Um, so, so sometimes the horn players will, sometimes they'll do a bass part. They're the arrangers in the band and, and I can 
I'll happily sight read that. But to be honest, I enjoy doing the work myself. If, if we're having to play with whichever artist it is, I enjoy getting the recording. I enjoy doing my own transcriptions, uh, you know, because it's great ear training and it keeps my reading up to scratch. And it also means if you do your own transcription, I know it's going to be super accurate, you know, because I'm going to really go to town on that. And I've got thousands of these things. Like every artist that I've worked with on Jules's TV and radio shows, I've got a transcription of every bass part. That is awesome. That is <clears> very <throat> cool. Yeah. So, so uh, how, many, that, how many is that now? Oh, man. I, I, I'm not sure, but it, it's thousands. It is thousands. And they're all handwritten as well. I did them with pencil and manuscript. I don't use a computer for it. So, uh, and um, and it's it's just a nice thing to have, you know. It's it's a good reference point. And sometimes we have to play with these artists again years later, and they, sometimes they want to do the same song. So I've got the part there. But the one thing I didn't notice with Jules is, uh, and really, it's when I came to London as well, was how important it was. It, ironically, now I, uh, my work involves reading music less. It's it's more important to have really good ears. You know, a lot of the stuff I do, I have to improvise. I have to play with people I've never played with before. There's sometimes there's no time to do charts. So these days, you know, I probably play more by ear than I've, I've ever done before, you know, which, which, uh, which is, you know, a great thing. What do you prefer? Um, do you know what? I, I really don't mind. I, I, so when I do jazz gigs, when I'm not working with Jules, my main thing is I love playing jazz. I love playing my double bass and I love doing jazz gigs. My wife, Lucy is a professional jazz singer. So we, we get to do gigs together, <clears throat> but sometimes I, I'm playing with people that I, I don't know, or, you know, some of the people I do know, but we don't know what we're going to play. But the whole point of being a jazz musician is that you have this, uh, you know, you have a set of sort of songs that hopefully everyone knows, you know, there's a core set of songs. And I just love that. I love getting to a jazz gig and, and sometimes some people just shout out the key. They won't even tell you what the, the song's called, but that's why it's important to have good ears, you know, that balance between reading and, and having good ears. So, uh, and I, I enjoy that freedom and I enjoy that challenge of, of having to pick stuff up and having to know that repertoire. I really enjoy that. Having said that, I also enjoy a situation where I, I do a session and someone does still give me a bass part because I get a lot of satisfaction from being able to sight read that stuff. And, and, and I enjoy the discipline of it as well. Uh, you know, there's something, a really great discipline about being able to look at a chart and immediately circumnavigate the whole thing and just say, yeah, I've got that, you know, I, I can see that the time signatures, the key signatures, whatever. So for me, I, I really enjoyed doing both for, for different reasons. And, uh, and, uh, but like I said, when I started out, everything was, was, was reading and, uh, and it took me a while to, to get used to not doing that. Because I started to do gigs where I turn up and say, where's the charts? And people would say, well, there aren't any, you know? <laughs> so it was, it was sink or swim, you know, you, 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 you had to have really good ears and really fast ears as well. So, uh, so it was important for me to have that balance of the two things. Very cool. Okay, so was there anyone who, I guess, were you starstruck by anybody on the, on the show? Um, yeah, I guess so, really, because I've definitely ended up playing with some of my own personal heroes, you know, people that I grew up listening to either on the radio or that I owned their albums. And I think the very first one, one of the earliest ones was Shaka Khan. 
Wow. Uh, she came on the show and, uh, and I just lost my mind when I heard I was going to get to play with her because I never imagined that in my, well, I never imagined playing with any of the people I've worked with on Jules's show. I could never imagine with any of them, but with her in particular, because I was such a fan and she did that, a, a TV show and she came on and she did, uh, I'm every woman and ain't nobody. Um, and I remember at the time, you know, Jules really wanted me to play mostly acoustic double bass because uh, the gig before me, the guy that had it was Pino Palladino. Ah, I've heard of him. <laughs> yes, you, you probably have. You probably have. And um, I, I think he's got a good career ahead of him. I think once he turns professional, he'll do. Yeah, uh, he's got know. a great name too. It's awesome. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and Pino, we're good friends. In fact, we we used to be neighbours here in Southeast London. We we used to live in the next street to to one another. Uh, cool. Yeah. So when when Pino moved to London, his first gig was was playing with Jules. So when Pino sort of uh, moved on, you know. Because he didn't play upright bass, and Jules really wanted someone who did. So that was another thing that sealed the gig for me was being able to play both instruments. But but Jules only ever wanted me to play upright. He wasn't that interested in in me playing bass guitar, and that was fine for the first couple of years. But with these TV shows, we started to play with more and more diverse artists. And if it was like a blues or a jazz or an R and B thing, it was fine. But all of a sudden, Shaka Khan comes on and wants to do those two songs. And I said to Jules, I'm not playing I'm Every Woman and Ain't Nobody on double bass. I'm, <laughs> you know, I really don't want to do that. Um, I, I mean, it's not impossible, but it's just not ideal. Uh, sort of, you know, if you were doing kind of like some, some slow sort of cabaret lounge version of it, it might work, yeah. you know. But, this, but, you know, they wanted what was on the record. So I said, listen, I, I need to use electric bass. And he was really kind of reticent about this, you know, because um, he, he just loved me playing upright. I said, don't worry, it'll all be fine. So, um, so yeah, and that was the moment that I started to really double up on the, on the Jules gig. But prior to that, it was, it was all upright. But, um, but yeah, so playing with her was, was just out of this world. And, and the videos, I think, are out there. They're out there on YouTube. But then uh, a couple of others, I think the one after that was George Benson. Oh, uh, again, you know, another another person that had loads of their records, and he came on the TV show, and he wanted to do on Broadway. That's oh, cool. Very cool. So, so, so you know, nothing very technical uh, on the bass at all. But uh, ironically, I'd played that in bands prior, to, and all of a sudden, I'm doing it with with the man himself. So that was pretty special. And then, so surreal. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it really was. It really was. And then uh, Algero was. Uh, I'm a huge Algero fan. Again, throughout the 80s, that was the soundtrack to my life, listening to his albums. And he came, first of all, he came on Jules' radio show, and then he came on the TV show. Uh, and and he, he, we did a song with him called Last Night, and that's, out, and that's on YouTube. Uh, the only thing with that was, the only thing I regret about it is, because we were doing, we got given the recording of it, and it was obviously a, a big production thing. And when we did it on Jules' show, it was just Jules on piano, uh, a percussionist, me on bass and Al Jarreau and and I used I think it was a synth on on the recording and I I used a fretless bass with maybe with an octave pedal on it and, and I was trying too hard to get it to sound like the recording and really what I should have done is because it was a cut down more acoustic version of it I should have used my my double bass I should have just kind of gone Do you know what this this in this intimate setting 
the upright would have, and it would have been great. It would have, it would have, I think it would have been better, you know. So, uh, you know, it doesn't sound bad what I'm doing, but uh, that's my own personal <clears throat> thing. But again, because with the whole TV stuff, it was a, it was a new world to me. I was still discovering stuff, you know, and we didn't have, we don't have an MD on Jules's show. It's like, we're, we're all our own MDs on it, you know. So it wasn't, there was someone saying, you should play this, you need to play this instrument. Got it. The choice team, is there, so team effort. Yeah, exactly that. You know, so I kind of wish I'd, I'd done that, but uh, but yeah. So, so those are the those are the key ones for a long time. Shaka Khan, George Benson, Algero. Much later on, you know, I I, I got to play with Paul Simon, who uh, who who you know, a massive fan of, uh, and you know, people like Amy Winehouse was 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 pretty cool. Uh, you know, so was there some so, yeah, anyone I, that shocked you? as far as you, you weren't expecting it to go one way or another? <laughs> there, there's, there, there are some artists, there's, there's been a few that have been a, a little more high maintenance than others. Well, let's uh, put it that way. But That's a nice way but to put out it. Of the, yeah. Yes, indeed. Out of the thousands of people I've worked with, there's only been a couple. And the thing is, you know, with, I kind of get it because on the Jules Holland TV show, it's our world, it's our environment. And these artists are having to come in to a very different situation. You know, it's like, I'm not in their band, I'm not in their studio, whatever, they're coming to us. So, and, and some of them, are, you know, do get quite nervous, you know, you believe it or not. Some of these people are very, very famous and very iconic, but you'd be surprised that they're the ones that are nervous, right. not not always us, you know. But I think some of some of them like to come along and assert their authority a little bit, uh, you know. And they might be a little bit uh, more demanding than you than you expect. But that's the thing with this gig as well. It, you, you, it's not just about being a musician, you know. You've got to be. It's almost like you've got to be a social worker and you've got to be a diplomat. <laughs> uh, you know, because you're you're dealing with because you're, you're having to spend a lot of time with these people. Uh, okay. You know, you're, you're doing rehearsals and run-throughs and you're talking about the songs. And, you know, you, you need to deal with their personalities as well as as playing with them. It, so, so it's really... So give us a... Sorry to cut you off, but give a... Yeah, that give us a uh, rundown of what the day looks like doing the, a TV show as a as a bassist. Okay, well, on, on the regular Later with Jules Holland, what usually happens is we, uh, and, it, and it varies the, the, the amount of people that are needed. I mean, I'm kind of lucky in the fact that being the bass player, you know, that, that's a, a given thing, that they, there needs to be bass there. But, you know, for instance, we've got a big band with horns and that stuff. So sometimes the artist wants those horn players and sometimes they don't or they might. So... Uh, you know there are variables there, but generally for me, um, the, the show the show starts the show gets recorded around eight thirty in the evening. So I tend to get a, have to go to the studio around about four o'clock or four thirty. And and what what you do first is you um, and this is assuming you you've been given the recording of the song, so you've 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 done your homework. Uh, so you you get there and then you tend to go straight onto the the TV floor and then you do run throughs so the sound guys can do a sound check also the light guys can check the lighting as well <clears throat> and then and then what you'll do is you'll go to like a another room somewhere where you'll meet the artist and you'll just run through the song you know in a very casual way in in, the, in a dressing room like acoustically just to make sure that there's there's everything is 
it is all okay. And then we'll all then go on to the, the, the TV show floor to run the song properly. Uh, and that, again, gives the sound guys and the lighting guys more chance to do it. So, so by this stage, it's round about 5.30 or something like that. And, and you know, you, you get to run through it maybe two or three times. You don't get loads and loads of run-throughs. But, and, you know, and it's, it's challenging because you've got, to play, you've got to play with an artist you've probably never played with in your life before. You're playing a song you've probably never played before. Uh, and you've got to play it accurately. You've got to play it authentically. You know, you, you've got you've got to be as good as the guy that was on the record, or, or as good as the guy that was in the band right. with that person. You know, there's, it's a lot of responsibility, and then that's it. You just have a break for a few hours, and the show <clears throat> the show starts. But I have to say, one one of the most bizarre incidents and challenges was when Smokey Robinson came on the show, and we were told, I said, "Well, what song does he want to do?" And he wanted to do a version of that Nora Jones cover called "Don't Know Why." that song and, uh, and Nora Jones didn't write it because she covered it <clears throat> and I said fantastic Smokey I never worked with him before but then we, we found out that our guitarists couldn't couldn't make the, the the TV show so Jules said to me listen we need to find a guitar player for this Smokey Robinson thing it's, it's just going to be piano bass drums guitar and Smokey and that's it and I'm thinking to myself you know I know lots of guitar players but you know if I pick the wrong guy if I pick for whatever reason it could be a personality trait it could be all number of things. I'm thinking, I'm then going to get in trouble because I'm the one that's picked the guitars. And I said to Jules, I said, listen, man, I'd, I'd feel more comfortable if you, if you looked for a guitar player to do this song with Smokey. And he said, okay, okay. And a couple of days later, he came back. He said, look, man, he said, it's been a struggle. He said, I, I've, I've, I've called everyone. But he said, I think I've got someone. He said, I'm hoping they're going to be okay. So I'm going to keep my fingers crossed. And I'm kind of going, oh, geez, what's this? What's going on here? And he said, I said, who did you get? He said, Eric Clapton. <laughs> And I said, um, I said, oh, okay, I see, I see what you, I see what you, what you've been doing here, winding me up. Uh, and sure enough, that's that's who we got, you know. So we got to the TV studio, and and we'd worked with Eric before, so he's a friend of ours. And we got there. And the first thing Eric said to me, "Would you mind if we sit down?" Uh, he said, I, I, "I feel more comfortable on, on this because you know he, he, it's not his gig. He's like the rest of us now. He's just the backing guy." And I said, sure, I'm, I'm, I was playing electric bass, so I said, I'm happy to sit down. And then, um, you know, he, he, he got all of his guitars there. And I said, listen, I said, uh, I hope he didn't mind, but I said, I've, I've, I've written out the chords. I thought this might, this might be kind of some help to you, you know. Uh, and he said, Dave, he said, I'm sorry. He said, I really appreciate it. He said, but you're wasting your time. He said, that chord chart looks like hieroglyphics to me, <laughs> you know. Uh, and that was quite interesting because at, at that that was that point I realised that Eric really is a plays but play by ear kind of guy. Yeah, you know, it's he it just doesn't use charts or anything like that. So anyway, so we're running through the song and everything's fine, and then we get this message from the um, the producer saying that Smokey Robinson is not going to make the rehearsal for the for the for the live TV broadcast. Now this has never happened before. Anytime we've played with anyone, we've always had a run through the song. And Eric Clapton's looking at me, kind of going, he said, this can't be happening. He said, is this for real? I said, I guess. <laughs> I said, I don't know, this is, hasn't happened before. He said, so we're going to be playing on a live TV show with Smokey Robinson, and we're not going to have a rehearsal with him. I said, I said so it seems, so it seems. <laughs> and so all we could do is was run through the song ourselves. Then we took a break. We came back for the start of the show. The audience is in there. 
And then we're all sitting there and there's a couple of other bands that were on first. And, you know, Jules is the host of the show, so he's introducing them, whatever. And then at the corner of my eye at one point, I looked over and I could see Smokey Robinson was just by the side of the stage. And the next thing is Jules kind of goes, please welcome Smokey Robinson. And he walks out and that's it. We have to start. We start, we have to, we play the song with him. And we've never, we've, we haven't spoken to him. We've not said hi, we've not rehearsed. And it was just, you know, what, what amused me most of all was, was Eric Clapton's reaction because he just couldn't believe that we were doing this. Because I guess from his point of view, you know, he's used to rehearsing not just hours like we have to do, but like days and weeks and months. And all of a sudden, there's no rehearsal at all. So anyway, we did the song and Eric does a solo on it and it was great. It's, it's beautiful. And at the end of it, Smokey comes over to Eric and myself and he gives us both a big hug and he said, you know, thanks guys, that was beautiful. And he walks off and that was it. And that was it. Oh my God. <laughs> that, was, that was the end of that, you know. But, um, and yeah, and, and it's still one of the things I'm, I'm the most proud of, you know, because you can see that the, I'm sitting next to Eric and we get a lot of camera time on that show. And you've never seen me grinning so much. I tend not to smile too much when I'm playing because I'm deep in concentration. But I'm thinking, I'm playing with Smokey Robinson and Eric Clapton here. So what more could you possibly ask for? Yeah, so. Right. That's a, a huge reason to smile. And, <laughs> and indeed, proof, indeed. proof that you guys are all professionals to be able to do that. I mean, that takes some serious discipline and skill. Yeah, I, I guess so. And that just comes from experience. Yeah. You know, it yeah. comes from practice. And also, you know, the key thing is it's about doing your homework, I think. Um, because, you know, when I when I get these recordings, uh, first of all, I double check that I've been given the right one because sometimes you get peeps, some different people get multiple ones. You, get, you might get a studio version and you might get a, a live one. So I always double check on that. But I will listen to other versions as well just for the hell of it, just to get a vibe from it. Um, but I'll also do some research on the artists themselves. You know, I'll kind of look, I'll look at their history, even if I know something about them already. Because if you're going to meet them as well, if you're going to spend time with them, it's kind of nice to be able to converse and talk about stuff. So I'll even do that. I'll even, part of my prep is just finding out a bit more about the artist as well. But yeah, it's really about getting the homework done beforehand because uh, you know, really, by the time you get to that TV studio, you know, if, if you haven't done that, I mean, say, for instance, <clears throat> you know, if I get like a, a song and I just kind of listen to it and I think, yeah, you know, this is close enough. This, this, this feels, this sounds pretty much like the original. And then you start to play and that artist turns around and kind of goes, that's not what's on the record. You know, <laughs> you know, then, then you're in big trouble. That's really. the, uh, so, what the, what the hell are you doing, look? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what I, that's the reason why, you know, whether it, it is with Shaka Khan or or, um, or with Sting or Paul Simon, whatever, whatever track I get given, I will always meticulously transcribe everything that's on there. And I, and I, and if there's time, I'll learn, I'll learn it off by heart. You know, sometimes there isn't enough time. So sometimes I have to read the chart on the show kind of thing. Um, but the main thing is that I've done the work in the first place. I've done all the hard work. And then what happens is, you know, they can turn around and say, Dave, you don't have to play exactly what's on the record. You know, you can free this up, you know, feel free to improvise. And then that's fine. And I'm happy to do that. But at least I've got the starting point. I've got what was on the recording, which 99% of the time is what they want, you know? So that's why the prep and the homework is. That is, uh, is really some good points and very good advice. 
uh, do your homework. Okay, I want to talk about gear because I saw a picture that you posted recently on your <laughs> Instagram page with, uh, I believe it's a six-string um, signature model? It's not quite a signature model. What okay. happened is that, um, you know, because with Ibanez, um, you know, because I, I collect instruments. I, you know, I've probably got yes, around 100 heard, bass guitars. I've heard you have a huge collection of basses. It's, you know, it's it's fairly it's fairly big. Like I said, about 100, 100 bass guitars. I've got obviously upright basses as well. But, and, um, but about sort of six, seven years ago, I just started to focus more on vintage Ibanez. Uh, you know, I really... I really just fell in love with them, and uh, so what, a lot what is of, it that what is it that uh, attracts you to Ibanez bases? Well, I think the 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 vintage ones. Someone sold me like a, a fretless one from the early eighties. It was like a I think it's so one of the musician uh, the range. It's called an MC nine four zero, and I just wanted it because it just looked beautiful. It's like the kind of ones that Sting used to play in those early police okay. videos. Okay, and I, you know, and I got it, and I was almost just going to just have it for the the aesthetic and then I plugged it in and started to play I'm thinking to myself wow this is like one of the best basses I've ever played it's certainly one of the best fretless basses uh, I've ever played so that was it I was and, and, I, and the quality of these things was amazing you know Ibanez at the time you know we, we were making probably better instruments than anybody on the planet this is like the late 70s early 80s they often were called the Japanese Alembics that's what oh, wow. people call them. And, uh, and you know, th this is like the highest grade wood, the highest grade ebony on the fretted models. There's abalone inlays. It's, there's a, uh, you know, they have uh, tilted headstocks. They never use string trees or anything like that. And I just thought the, the quality of this, these instruments is off the scale and the sound of them, the playability. So I just went nuts and started to collect the, all of these vintage Ibanez instruments. And there's all different models and different colors. And then what happened is that... Um, <clears throat> Jules and myself appeared on the front cover of Bass Guitar Magazine. Uh, I think it was in uh, 2016 or something like that. And I'm holding one of these vintage Ibanez in this, what used to be called a polar white finish, which, which, which must have been refrigerator white. But over the years, it goes this yellowy, creamy color, okay. which I think looks better. Anyway, Ibanez saw me with this vintage instrument and they, they were so thrilled that somebody was using their instruments in a high profile situation. They said, you know, would you like to be involved with a company? Would you like to try some of the newer instruments? And I said, yeah, sure. You know, so they invited me along and I thought to myself, well, I've got loads of four string bases. I've got some five strings, but six strings is what I was really interested in. And I'll explain why that is in a second. But so they bought all of these high-end Ibanez prestige and premium, and I'd never seen these before, because the trouble is if you go into high street shops, most of the Ibanez you see are entry-level student models. And that's what a lot of people associate Ibanez with. But all of a sudden I'm being presented with all this high-end stuff and I'm thinking, wow, I've never seen these before. I've never played these before. Um, and I was just blown away by the, the, the quality of them, the playability, the sound. So that was there, I was, I was hooked. So I started to play Ibanez officially. I became an, you know, an official endorser, I guess. And I've got a lot of those, uh, particularly the, the BTB range. Um, and they're quite formidable instruments. They're quite large. But, you know, I'm, I'm six foot three and quite, you know, I've got fairly big hands. So these instruments suit me fine. But at one point they said to me, you know, we'd love to do a signature model. And I said to them, well, you know, I'm, it's, it's a nice compliment, but I wasn't that... 
I, I wasn't really that fussed about having one because I was happy with what they were building. I was happy with their stock instruments. And I said to them, well, look, it's actually a better testament for me if I'm being seen playing instruments that anyone else could get, you know, stock instruments. There, there was nothing custom about them at all. But they kept, they kept on at me. They said, no, no, we'd love to do your signature model. And in the end, I said to them, okay, let's not do a, f a fully uh, a full signature model. Let's just do a custom model to begin with. So, you know, we'll still use the same body shape as the BTBs, still a six string, but you let me choose the wood, let me choose uh, the pickups, let me choose the control layout. So it's, it's not really a signature model. It's more of a custom uh, thing, but it's a really lovely instrument. And I think further down the line, they probably, I probably, that will happen. It will probably morph into a signature model. But uh, I said to them, look, I'm really happy what, what, what you guys are making anyway. So, uh, and the thing is about signature models too, you know, I, I think there's a lot of ego involved in people having them, you know, sort of, you know, so some, some people just, it's an egotistical thing having a, having a signature model. And, uh, and, and I wasn't, you know, I really wasn't that bothered, you know, I, I just thought I'd, I'd rather just play something I, I really like. So, but it, if they keep insisting, uh, there's only so many times I can say no <laughs> to having it. I understand. But, but yeah, but yeah, but, but the, the new one, and it's kind of got this, because I'm a big horror movie fan. I love horror sci-fi films. So I said, okay, well, at least with the finish of it, let's, let's have this translucent blood red finish. So it looks very gothic. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I was quite, and, and lots of people really love that. They love the color of it. So, um, very cool. You play six a lot. Um, yeah. do you ever change your gear according to the artists that you play with? Um, well, here's the thing. When I tour with Jules Holland, the two main instruments, uh, there's, there's not enough room on the stage because it's such a big band. There's 20 of us. So okay. I, I, I don't tend, I only take two instruments on tour. I take my, my uprights. Um, and I take one bass guitar because there literally isn't the space. And it's the same on the TV show as well. There's, there's limited space for, for gear. And also because both in the live situations on tour and on TV, I'm having to swap instruments a lot because of the different artists and the different types of music. So it's, it's tough enough just switching between upright and bass guitar. Whereas if I had to switch between upright and three or four bass guitars, it would be carnage, you know, and the song would be finished by the time I've got it together. So the way I look at it is that for me, the six string, it's the most versatile instrument I can take out with me because with the, particularly with a low B string, you know, that that's a necessity these days. There, there's, there's no way I could do my job with a four string bass because there's so much call to play those lower notes, whether I'm copying a, a synth a synth part or whether I'm copying a bass line that was played on a six, uh, five or six string bass. So the B string I, I definitely need. Now people have said to me, yeah, but what about the high C string? How much do you use that? Because, you know, my job isn't about soloing. It's not about playing chords, not on the Jules gig, but <clears throat> one of the things I love about playing a six string bass on that show, particularly on the TV show, and especially when I'm sight reading, stuff with a six string i can keep my hand in one position and play horizontally uh, okay. uh you know right. a, a lot more than you know and some of these songs that i have to play you know the the bass ranges jump all over the place and if i was playing a four string bass or even a five string you know i'm having to then make quite risky jumps 
and Got leaps <laughs> up and down the fingerboard. Yeah. Whereas, but I'm sight reading as well, kind of thing. So that's quite a risky business when you're doing a live TV show. Yeah. So uh, for me, the six string means that look at all those notes I've got in one hand position. You know, and, and I use extended fingerings as well. Like I do some pivoting with, with my hand. You know, so I can cover a lot of uh, a lot of area there. So, so yeah, I mean, that's really what it's for. And actually, you know, uh, Fender uh, in the sixties, they were quite a, quite ahead of the game because you know when Fender did a five string bass, mm -hmm. the early Fender five string was a high C. On ah. it. it was actually short, but it had a high C string. Okay. And from what I'm led to believe, the whole reason for that was is that was made for session players. In fact, James Jameson had one. I don't know if he ever recorded with it, but. It was for session players who had to exactly this. They had to sight read stuff, and back then, of course, no one was was playing those low notes, so right. no one was interested. But a lot of that stuff, you know, with Carol Kay and Joe Osborne and all those guys, they had to play quite high parts. So the high C string on that early Fender Five was was for the session guys who needed to keep their eyes on the music. And then they could just play across the fingerboard, and they didn't have to take their eyes off to jump up. Man. yeah that is interesting i didn't know that yeah yeah wow. so that that's, that's what that that's what that early fender five is for so that's why i, I like the six string okay. is because i can you know I, I can play a lot more in one position uh, but then again you know there's sometimes when the six string is just not the thing to use so we we were the house band once at the royal albert hall for and it was a stacks uh evening it was for oh. all the remaining stacks artists and um and, and the thing is, I thought, and we're playing all those classic Stax tunes, and I'm thinking, do you know what? I think playing a, 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 a six-string boutique bass, it, it's sound-wise, it's probably not going to be the best thing, and visually, I'm probably going to get a lot of flack for this. <laughs> so in that instance, <clears throat> I used I used a four-string bass. I went back old school. Okay. I bet I, it felt I, I good. Yeah, well, it just felt like a toy. <laughs> after playing six yeah. string you know yeah. but it was but i thought to myself you know uh sonically and visually uh, and just the vibe of it it was the right thing to do so on very specific things like that i'll do it but then but again on jules tv show when we do the new year's eve show you know we're the house band on that and we have to play often with about eight different people eight different artists and it's like this conveyor belt it's like back to back you know? oh wow and you just have to cover so many things again i i you know to have all alternative bases for me would, you know, would just be crazy. So for me, you know, the, the upright and, and a good six string, you know, and, and I can make a, a modern day six string bass sound old school, you know, the palm mute thing and the playing with your thumb, you know, you, you roll the treble off, you know, so mm -hmm. I, I can do stuff with it, but it just generally the six string for me is, is a better choice. It's more versatile. Very cool. Tell us about the new Wilcock, uh, the short scale six, how did that come about? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think, well, I've got three Wilcock bases now. One's, I've got the Malarkey, which is the, he's one of his standard models. So, yeah, Viv, Viv Wilcock, London Luthier, amazing Luthier, lovely guy. He specializes in short string bases. So he, he's seen me posting with all these instruments, but he quite cleverly observed that I didn't have a short scale bass. It was the only thing I didn't have. So so he contacted me and said, would you be interested in checking these out? And sure enough, that's what happened. And I, I absolutely love them. And the thing as well, I'm not a big fan of bridge pickups. I'm okay. not 
a fan of that sound. So on all of my twin pickup basses, I only ever use the, the neck pickup. Ah. I never use the bridge. I never even blend it in. I just, that sound for me is just not my, my thing, you know? So I just like that deeper sound. I mean, more like a, 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 a P bass sound, yeah. I, I, I guess. Cause you know, my first couple of basses, although they weren't fenders when I was a kid, they were P bass copies. So I think that kind of sound, you know, with just the one pickup, it, it sort of stuck with me. So yeah, I never use bridge pickups, but, but the thing with Viv is also, he's not a fan of that very, what can be a very nasal honky sound from a, from a pickup near the bridge. So he, even on his Wilcock uh, malarkey, there's two pickups, but if you look, one pickup is right up against the neck and the other pickup is in the middle. Okay. And that to me is, is perfect because, and it's the same with Billy Sheehan, you know, when, when Billy with his instrument, you know, he had the P pickup in the middle and, and I spoke to him about this and we were both in agreement. He said, the last thing I want is another pickup near the, going the other way to the bridge. He said, I don't want that sound. He said, if anything, I want something deeper than the P bass pick. That's interesting because his tone is so um, mid-rangey. I've, sure. I've never spoken to Billy about tone, but watching him yeah. play and listening to him and seeing him a bunch. Um, <clears throat> I guess. I'm sure that probably comes from like he's the, the EQ and stuff like that. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but you know, it, it's like with, with, with any any bass that I have, and I just I just solo the the neck pickup on the. It's important with the Ibanez because I always play in active mode uh -huh. because that's the thing. If you're just playing with one pickup, particularly the neck one, you do need something you need something going on there underneath that. You know, you need some power. Right. You need a bit of punch. So even though I just use neck pickup on my Ibanez, I'm always in active mode and I always boost the low mids and, and some bass on there, you know, just to, just to beef it up. But it's just a fundamental sound of yeah. that neck pickup yeah. I prefer. But on Viv's basis, so he's more about the, the, the pickups being towards the neck, which was fine with me. I, I was so thrilled with that. And then <clears throat> because I've always had a fascination with bass six instruments, you know, with the sixes in the Roman numerals. Uh, and the classic one is the Fender bass six, but I've always struggled with that because the neck is so narrow. The string spacing is super narrow. Yeah. <clears throat> and I said to Viv, I said, I'd love you to, because it's a short, it's still a short scale instrument. It's 30 inches. So I said, if you can make me one of those, but with a wider fingerboard, because uh, I play guitar as well these days. Um, oh, cool! You know, so so um, so I said to him, you know, so the way the, so so I said I just want it to be a wider neck, you know, so it's just more playable. But it's still a short scale bass six, and he'd never made one before. Bless him, he, you know, he was like baptism by fire. But uh, you know, he did a great job, and so much so he he made a second one for me. Uh, the first one just had one pickup. The second one has two pickups. So yeah, I, I just thought because it's a short scale instrument, Viv speciality, a short scale basis. So I thought he was the guy to go to. So yeah, I, I highly recommend his instruments. They're, they're a lot of fun. I mean, you know, the, the short scale malarkey and the basics, I mean, they're not going to be my main gigging basses because, you know, they have a certain sound and they have a certain vibe, but there's just, particular artists that I work with or types of music that I, they, they are just the right thing. They are the perfect choice, you know? So, uh, you know, that's, that was important for me to have those in my arsenal, I guess. Very cool. What about mm. strings and effects and amps? Uh, what are you using? <clears throat> well, well, as far as strings go, you'll be very pleased to hear that I use Dunlop uh, uh, and strings. I, 
I applaud you for that one. Me you, too. You, you, you may have heard that. of them. <laughs> um, you know, and I have to say this about strings. I, I was always more passionate about double bass strings, I have to say, because I, I probably play upright bass more than I play electric, to be honest. And uh, so and the double bass is such a personal instrument. Uh, you know, much, much more than, than a bass guitar, I think. You know, I, I, I probably do have more of an affinity with, with the upright bass. So for me, and the strings are so different because you get metal strings, you get gut, you get synthetic core strings. There's a lot of variation there. And, and, they're, and they're major differences when you play with them, you know, whether, whether it's the texture of the string, whether it's the tension of them, uh, the sustain, the diameter, there's a lot more going on there. So, so I've always been more fussy with with double bass strings, and I've spent more time experimenting with it. I'll be honest, with bass guitar strings, for the first twenty odd years, I really wasn't that fussed as long as they didn't break. Got it. <laughs> that was good, you know. Yeah. But then, of course, as you get older and your tastes change and your requirements change, uh, and and, of course, and your ears develop as well, you you start to hone in on on very very specific things. So all of a sudden, bass guitar strings much later became as important, you know. And I wanted to know what they what are they made of? What's the core? What shape is the core? What's the what's the you know? I wanted to know everything about them. Uh, and then, but I was still using different brands. I was kind of jumping around. There was nothing that I was completely knocked out by. And then, of course, I met uh, Daryl Anders at one of the London bass guitar shows. And I think it was around six years ago. It was just before I met my future wife, uh, as Daryl recently reminded me. And he approached me with Dunlop strings, and I hadn't even thought about them. I hadn't considered them. And I said, sure, I'll, I'm, I'll happy to try them and put them on a number of bases. Specifically, uh, and I tend to prefer nickel wound strings. Uh -huh. um, so, you know, because I don't really need a, too much zing there. I, I want some bite in the strings, but I, I don't know. I, I tend to have a preference for nickel strings. So I put these on there, super brights, Dunlop nickel super brights. Uh, and I put them on a few bases and I, and I thought to myself, yeah, this is it. This is me. I'm done now. The, you know, the, <laughs> Very the, cool. The, the search is over. Very cool. Um, so yeah, so ever, ever since then, that's that's what I've used for like the last six years or so. It, yeah, Dunlop nickel super bright. So, and okay. I've got those on my four string, five string, and six string bases. So nice. So yeah, very okay. happy. Okay. Uh, what would you like people to know about you that they may not know about you? <laughs> oh well, that would be telling. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I suppose. You know, I, I would say, you know, I, I, I do a lot of teaching. You know, a lot of people don't realize that I give lessons, I think, because they most of my posts are about being on tour or being on TV or in studio. Uh -huh. And I don't advertise the fact that I teach that much. Uh, so people are often quite surprised when they do discover it. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I do teach. I do give private lessons. Uh, I, I used to give them in person before the pandemic, but, of course, now, it's mostly online. I mean, I'm sure that will change. And of course, a lot of my students are, are outside of the UK. So, and I really love doing that. Um, you know, education, it's important for me because even though I was a classically trained trombone player, I was a self-taught bass player. And in the early years, it was tough, you know, because there wasn't any teachers around. There wasn't that much material. When I started out, I bought a couple of Carol K books and, and 
you know, that's how I started out. But there was very little study material. And of course, this is all pre-internet. So it was hard work. It was a real struggle. It was a real struggle. So, you know, I, I wish I'd have had like a, a great tea. I mean, I, I studied much later on when I was older. Okay. In fact, one of, one of my one of my best teachers uh, was a guy called Michael Moore. He's an American jazz double bass player. He's now retired, uh, and I'd love to get hold of him. If anyone knows where Michael Moore is, please let me know. Michael Moore, um, are you listening? Yeah, <laughs> but he was he was living in England for a short time, and he he got me to switch to German bow when I was playing French. You know, um, you know, he got me into playing the piano. Uh, as well uh, and um you know he he was a great but that was much later i think i was probably 29 or something like that when i when i studied with him but it's important you know like education is really important and because i've been a pro player for 40 years i've been with jules holland for, for 30 years or more uh, and i've accumulated a lot of knowledge both with my own private studies uh and my experience in the tv studio recording studio so there's a lot of stuff that i that i can offer there as far as, far as uh, advice and what have you so so yeah I, i i definitely want to make sure that people know that i teach and i give lessons uh, and, and i'm always happy to take on new pupils awesome what what advice do you have for uh say a young bassist just starting out <laughs> okay um well i've made a list ah okay yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> where where let's, do i begin where do i how, how much time have we got um okay <laughs> well, let's do the okay. uh, summarized version yeah okay all right really really quickly i would say that um you know one of the one of the things i think is really beneficial if if you're a bass player and you don't already play a chordal instrument very seriously consider doing that because especially with with piano that's why when i was studying with michael moore one of the first things he said never mind the bass he said let, let me give you some piano lessons he said because You know, even if you don't want to become a piano player, just the sitting there working with it, working out chords and harmony and stuff like that, so useful as a, as a bass player. Because I mean, I was a trombone. I am a trombonist and a bass player, so all monophonic instruments. So my knowledge of harmony early on was not good at all. You know, okay. so if, if I could give any advice to my younger self, it would have been learn some piano, study some piano. Now, I've tried over the years, me and the piano don't really mix well together, but I do play guitar now. In the last couple of years, I've been playing guitar. And even, even just playing that, not only is it a lot of fun, playing, finally playing a chordal instrument, uh, <clears throat> and something that's a whole lot lighter as well. <laughs> but, you know, but just the study of playing like jazz guitar, the, just the chords and the harmony side of it, actually helps my bass playing it that helps me play more harmonically and melodically so so I, that's a key I, i would like i said you don't have to become a pianist and you don't have to become a guitarist but actually spending time with a chordal instrument i think i think will be will be really helpful especially to your to your bass to your bass playing um i mean for, for me also finding a mentor as well was really important i mean i had two older brothers And they bought instruments into the house. And I'm from a very working class family. My parents were factory workers. So nobody was pro musicians or anything. But there was music in the house. We watched a lot of TV with a lot of musicals and stuff. But my brothers were bringing guitars into the house. And I just couldn't believe this. I thought this was so exciting. So I used to watch <laughs> them and I would listen to them. 
you know, I'd watch them sort of play. And, and even though I didn't particularly want to play the guitar, it was just, it just gave me so much incentive and motivation, you know, um, at, you know, to, to, to do something and to maybe give this a try. And, and funnily enough, they were playing all these records like, uh, you know, Eric Clapton and Cream and sort of Jeff Beck and all this kind of thing. And I was listening to them through the wall like this. And, and I, they must be really annoyed with me because I ended up playing with all these guys when I was older, <laughs> you know, so they're the ones buying the records thinking, oh man, I wish I could be like this. And then yeah. I, I, their little brother, their kid brother is the one that ends up playing with these guys, you know, <laughs> but, but you know, they, they were, they were really great mentors to me. And a mentor doesn't have to be a member of the family. I mean, it could be anyone, but you know, it's, it's good to look for inspiration and motivation wherever you can, you know, uh, because Absolutely. in this industry, there's so many peaks and troughs that, you know, you really have to, you really have to keep motivated. The other thing is, I would say with, if you're a musician, you know, you really have to follow your bliss, really. You have to, you have to be, you know, really fall in love with, with what you're doing. And at some point, you need to be quite obsessive. I think if you want to become a really great player, uh, a really, really great player, at some point in your development, you have to be quite obsessive about it. Whether it's practicing, listening, studying, whatever. At some point, you know, you have to put in a lot of time and a lot of effort. You know, one of my favorite sayings is, I can't remember who, who attributed, but it was the harder you work, the luckier you get. Mm. And I kind of quite like that because, you, you know, you, you've got to put the time in, you know, you've, and, and the more you do it and the more you, you practice and you study and you work and the more you put yourself out there, the more chances are that something good is going to come from that. But, you know, as the saying goes, nothing comes from nothing. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, Excellent uh, advice. And, and also, just one actually, one of the final thing, what, the one thing I get asked a lot, re a, a great deal in my job is, how do I get established in the industry? You know, how, or how do I become you? <laughs> it's what a lot of people say to me. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I've just come to this new town. How do you, now, the one thing that you don't want to do is just to cold call the, the, the guys that are playing and say, can you, is there any gigs? Can you give any work? You know, because yeah. that's not going to go down well. And even if you go to gigs and you meet them in person, they're probably done a long gig. They want to hang out with their, with, the, with their fellow bandmates or they've got their partners there. And again, if you kind of go up to them and start bugging them about work and gigs, it's not going to go down well. So one of the best pieces of advice I would say is find someone uh, that gives lessons, but someone who's maybe a prominent player that's really busy, that gets all the gigs. And have a lesson with them. Now, the thing is, you might not want, you might not want or need a lesson, but don't even think of it as being a lesson. Think of it as being an audition. Hmm. Okay. Because then if you go to a prominent player, and I'm not saying it has to be me, although it could be, um, <laughs> but you know, if you if you if you go to like some some guy and say, listen, I, I assuming they do teach, I want to have a lesson, and you give them money, okay, what you're getting is like an hour or more of their undivided attention, right. which is, which is more than you're going to get if you cold call them that or if you go absolutely interesting you know I mean? strategy. That's pretty smart. You know, you're, you know, they're getting some money, so they're getting something from this, but, but you, do you then go to them, whether it's their home or even online? And like I said, you might already be a great player and you might not think that you need a lesson, but first of all, you probably will get something from it. They'll probably impart some knowledge that is really useful to you. 
But what's more important is they get to meet you, speak with you, hear you. They get to hear you play. They get to watch you play. And then there's every chance that at some point later on, they might kind of be stuck for a debt, you know, and they'll kind of think, oh, my God, man, like I get, can't get in. Oh, yeah, what about that student of mine? What about that guy? You know, he was pretty good. You know, he's a good reader or whatever. And then, you know, you might get work from that. You know, I mean, I, I did that when I came to London. I ended up studying with people, but not even, I wasn't even thinking what I'm now suggesting. I just wanted the lesson. I right. just wanted to study with some great players for technique or whatever. Got it. But the but the bonus was I would then get calls from from these teachers saying, "Oh, you know, can you can you depth for me?" And it's like, "Oh, okay." You know, so I discovered this by accident. So I would, you know, if you want to get established and you want to get gigs, you know, th think about doing that. Think about studying with prominent, busy, high-profile players, but use it as an audition. Right. To get you know. That's gold. Golden I advice. Like <laughs> Dave, I want to thank you for coming on to Bass Freaks. Uh, really appreciate you and your advice and time. Um, where can people find you? Okay, well, I, I'm I'm definitely on social media. I mean, I'm I'm just on Facebook as Dave Swift. Uh, I'm on Instagram as Dave Swift Bass. I've got a website which is DaveSwiftBass.com. So, you know, you can contact me via all of those things. That's where I am. Very cool. Thank you all for listening in to the Bass Freaks podcast. I really appreciate you all. Stay healthy, stay kind, spread kindness, spread love, good vibes, and inspiration. And remember, you got this. Follow your path, whatever it may be, and just play. A huge thank you to Dunlop for making this show possible. And make sure you check out Bass Freaks wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, cheers. cheers.